Welcome to It's All Connected, a Marvel Studios podcast. It's all connected. Everything. Hello, everyone, and welcome to It's All Connected, episode 113, and holding down the fort, guarding the galaxy, is Matthew Arrow, and this is Russell Latham. We're, hey. the, we're, the, we're the last two men standing. Yeah, or at least the last two who have uh, seen the movie so far. Yeah, yeah, I tried to, I, <laughs> I tried to recruit some others uh, into, the, into the Guardians and... Uh, uh, was unsuccessful. John may may hop on. Uh, we'll we'll have to see. He's a he's a busy yeah. dude, but he did uh, go see the movie last night. Uh, and Daryl has not seen it. And as we all know, Daryl's not a fan of the of the Guardians. Yeah, but I think he'll. Uh, I, I actually think he'll like this one more than the last one. Uh, yeah, which which is a very low bar. Uh, for him, but <laughs> for him, right? Yeah, for him. But well, we'll I, see. I think, Maybe it'll it'd be pretty amazing if it converted him. Yeah, I, th- I think at worst, at best, he may just go, yeah, you know, okay, sure, right, right. But we'll see. So yeah, so Guardians of the Galaxy came out uh, last weekend. This will be a full spoiler discussion. So if you haven't seen the movie, uh, you might put a pin in this and come back to it after you've seen the movie. Because shame on you, you need to be out there. Um, you definitely need to to see this movie. Um, yeah, especially if you're listening to an MCU podcast. Exactly. Turn your card <laughs> in if you haven't seen it and you queued up this podcast. But yeah, great fun. Uh, so what I always tend to do with these movie episodes is I like to – I kind of – I'm a numbers junkie. So I like to, to kind of talk about the numbers. So, yeah, me too. Yeah. So, uh, of course, movie released uh, this past weekend, technically uh, – May the 4th, even though like at, at Thursday screenings, but the, the official release date is May the 5th. Uh, it did open up in some foreign markets uh, prior to this weekend, uh, so it had a little bit of a boost there. Um, but it's it's going really strong. Uh, I mean, so far we're sitting at, you know, 400 and, about 440 million uh, total worldwide after that first weekend. Um, the, the U.S. opening weekend was 146 which is huge uh, and and yeah. greatly surpassed the the surprising opening weekend of the first one. I mean, I remember when when three years ago when the first one opened to was it ninety five or ninety six million? Yeah, I think it was right around there. Yeah, in the mid nineties. Yeah, people were blown away, but it has <laughs> it's had such positive word of mouth, uh, and it was just such a breath of fresh air, you know, for a technically a superhero movie uh, and a, and a good space opera. So uh, this mm-hmm. one has has surpassed that. Uh, it did, like I said, 146 for the for the opening weekend in the U.S. Uh, it's foreign total so far is 285, and like I said, in some markets it's been open for a couple weeks now, so it's it's not really apples to apples. Uh, but but again, basically after the first large you know wide opening weekend to be almost at 500 million is is pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, I, I easily see this going to a billion. Yeah, I think so. I I don't see why it's going to stop. It's been getting nothing but positive reviews so there's no reason to think that that momentum won't continue yeah yeah and it had um i think the thursday opening was like 17 million yeah 17 um compared to logan i remember was 9 million just as like an idea yeah so i mean that's a huge huge thursday opening 
<clears throat> so just as an indication of you know how anxious people were to get in, and I saw it Thursday, um, and you know the theater was packed, uh, like every single seat was sold out, and it was the 3D IMAX. So oh nice, you know not like it was cheap or anything. Right, right. Yeah, I saw it Sunday afternoon, and the theater was was full. I mean, it was by the yeah. time we the movie started, it was pretty much sold out. So yeah, what what format did you see it in? So we so. Uh, my wife is not a fan of the 3D. Like she just doesn't like it. She doesn't like sitting sure. with the glasses on and all that. Uh, and she is a huge like the first Guardians movie is probably one of her favorite movies. I would say in the last probably decade. Uh, wow, cool. Which is it's really funny because she is not a superhero sci-fi space. Like she won't sit through a Star Wars movie. Period. Like she just won't. Um, wow. And she does like the Marvel stuff that tends to be on humor. Like she has no interest in Thor. But she enjoyed, you know, she enjoys the Iron Man movies, and she she likes the the Captain America movies, and she likes the Avengers movies. Uh, you know, she'll watch them. Like if she gets to the theater to see them, great. If not, you know, she'll she'll catch it when when uh, when they come at home. But I think it's just the humor and the uh, and the music. I think that's what really draws her to Guardians. So it's just kind of oh, right, yeah. up her, right up her alley as far as that's concerned. So she was like, yeah, this one you're not going without me. So normally, right, so okay. broke my streak. Uh, normally we go Thursday, you know, back back when there was no Thursday screenings and everything opened on Friday, we would go to midnight. You know, we go Thursday at midnight. Yeah, definitely. And, and see them. And then since they've kind of crept that further back and now they have these 7 p.m. showings, we usually go uh, thir- that Thursday night between 7 and 10. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, we just saw it on a straight up, just regular two D digital, you know, projection presentation. Nothing fancy. Yeah, cool. Um, I mean, I will say as someone who I saw the first Guardians a few times, and one of them was in three D, and I didn't think it added anything. I'm pretty. I don't mind three D, but I rarely think it's ever worth the money. Um, I with this one, I, I absolutely would recommend the three D IMAX. I don't know about regular three D, but um, I mean, you can't do IMAX without the 3D, so right. it's hard to right. fully judge it. But I think without IMAX, the 3D is kind of pointless. Like, it just adds – there was a couple of shots that were just phenomenal looking. I mean, there was a few – I think the first one where it's zooming in on the car um, that, uh, you know, Ego and oh, Meredith are driving in. Yeah, it looked – I know that's such a simple little shot, but it was just mind-blowing looking. I mean, to – that must have been done in IMAX. The it, it was just, and there was a couple other shots like that, like aerial shots that looked really great. And the whole movie, all the the 3D looked really good, really clear. Um, you know, there was never anything that was that was blurry or dark or hard to see. So yeah, they, I, I highly recommend that. They shot the non IMAX stuff. I remember seeing the credits. I saw the red logo at the end, but I, I was talking to Aaron yeah. Newworth. Uh, and I, it's the, what is it, the Red Phoenix or Red something like the newest? I'm not sure. I know they use the red. But yeah, it's yeah. the newest Red camera. So it's like 8K. Um, you know, everything is is super pristine. So this thing is going to look amazing when it hits home video. I'm really hoping yeah. that Disney gets their act together on the UHD physical formatting and gets things. Straight yeah, I mean, because, Gun's pushing for it. Yeah. Um, and and then the other thing is, I'm going to go the next time I go see it. I'm going to go see it in the 4K Dolby Atmos. Oh, There's nice. a theater here that has, it's the same theater I went to, has that. And that's the that's the format 
um, gun recommend seeing it in. Oh, nice. Um, and there's only like, you know, so many of those theaters throughout the country and there just happens to be one near me. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go do that. Cause he over, you know, he, he's really, you know, he oversaw the, the 3d and, and he's really like into the, um, the formatting of the film and all that. So, um, I, I think that's why it, ends up looking so good in those formats. He's just a very, very hands-on, you know, director. And even when it comes down to the editing and all that, you know, post-production stuff too. So yeah, absolutely. It definitely shows. <clears throat> yeah. I'd like to get, I, I'm hoping I can go see it again and see it in IMAX 3d or at least some 3d. I was, I was a fan of the first one in 3d. Cause I think there was some cool stuff that, uh, that they did the space stuff looked pretty good, and then I think the uh, the the overlay stuff, like when they were doing the the perp lineup and they kind of overlaid the stuff on top, that that all that that just the, oh, that yeah, effect looked yeah. really cool. So uh, so there you know there was there was some stuff that I thought was more hit than miss with that, and I'm, I'm kind of like you with 3D. I, I, there's not a lot of there's not many times where I'm like wow this really added to it, but right, it's more yeah it's more that it just is like well I didn't really need to spend the extra money for this yeah for most yeah, of the exactly. time so yeah but I would definitely recommend it for this one if you I, obviously again if you can do the IMAX I don't know what the regular is like but it's definitely worth the uh, like you know twenty bucks or however much yeah it costs for sure. Yeah, it's it's tearing up. It's you know tearing up at the box office. We'll see. The budget reportedly is two hundred million, which for these Marvel movies or any of these really big blockbuster movies, regardless of whether they're superhero or not, it it, it seems like two hundred is the new norm. And it and it's funny because it seemed like yeah. not that long ago, a hundred million just seemed like it was crazy expensive and becoming the norm. And now it you know not that many. I'd say maybe ten years, and and now it's two hundred million. So it's it's just crazy. Yeah, that's and that's pretty big too because um I can't remember the exact one, but wasn't Ant Man like one thirty? It might have been one sixty, but I for some reason I remember it being like one thirty, like one of the more like smaller budget yeah uh, Marvel ones. So it, it's definitely um I guess that just yeah one thirty where yeah. where Guardians is yeah I don't know I don't know why I remember that, but um I guess because it seemed a little on the lower end for a Marvel film. Um, but so, uh, you know, that shows you then where Guardians 2 is, that it's getting the, you know, I mean, 200 was around what Civil War yeah. was made with, right? And yeah. and I think um, probably the Star Wars, the new Star Wars movies as well. So, yeah, that, that just shows you where it is. And obviously, you know, the scope of it, the effects and everything. But yeah. the fact that Marvel's willing to drop that, you know, shows you uh you know where that franchise has has risen in their in their rankings and yeah even the first one so i one of the things i did was kind of look and see okay well how does this compare to the first one and domestic domestically it ended its run at 333 million and the foreign was 440 so right at like 775 million um global which is again introductory you know set of characters complete unknowns for for most of the you know people even comic book people yeah uh, to definitely. some degree and that had a budget of 170 so okay so you know, and again before so pretty, so so pretty big yeah 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 it uh you know again a lot of faith in in the vision and and what uh and what the you know what james gunn wanted to do with it so yeah it definitely paid off um there's yeah. no question and i'm sure they spent way more on marketing this time around too oh yeah 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 um 
But it's funny. The, one of the, the reports I came, that I heard recently was um, that the the total the the total cumulative uh, box office for the Marvel Cinematic Universe to date. So, Guardians uh, Volume Two marks the fifteenth movie, um, and it's sitting at eleven point three billion dollars total. Yeah, I saw that, which is just crazy. I mean, it's yeah. creeping up. It's getting so crazy that it's creeping up to if you average it out across the board, it's almost like a billion dollars per movie, which, which is insane yeah. because you know some of those are, you know the early ones were you know well under six seven hundred um, million, you know the first, even the first like Iron Man movie and, and and whatnot. So yeah, for sure. I mean, it's pretty uh, pretty wild. It's just it's it's almost becoming. You know, it's like this in Star Wars and anything, any reimagining of an animated property into live action with Disney. It's like it's just a billion dollar bill printing press. I mean, it's it's yeah. everything they do is is turning out billion dollar uh, movies. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's one of those things that I hope that the, the massive success of all these movies will translate to them making some smaller budget movies. I agree with you hundred percent, you know, um, obviously something in the vein of like a Deadpool where, you know, they know they're golden. So yeah, why not take a couple of more little risks, especially because it's, you know, it's pretty clear that they slap the Marvel name on it and they're, they're good to go. So yeah, it'd be I- a nice uh, experiment and a nice way to, you know, there's no reason like a Black Widow movie needs to be two hundred million dollars to yeah, make. Read my mind. Yeah, so I mean, you're making yeah. a spy thriller. Like you could make that for a hundred million. You know, no problem. Like your biggest, the biggest budget is going to be, you know, Scarlett Johansson's paycheck. So right, right. But um, so yeah, so I, I would like that because I think by doing smaller budgets and and um, the, the, there's less pressure to make it. Um, and you know, we can get into this a little when we talk about the movie, um, everybody listening at home, we will be talking about the movie, eventually. <laughs> but you know, it, it makes it so that these movies don't have to be as broad in their appeal. Yeah. You could maybe dig into a smaller story, a little more about, you know, characters, a little less about the entire universe is, you know, threatened every few months. It, it basically take like the net, the Marvel Netflix concept and just, Pat, pat out the budget, but, yeah. but similar oh, yeah. in concept where, um, you know, the, the scope and the scale and the, you know, the landscape they're playing with is much more narrow. Uh, the character sets may be a little bit smaller. Um, yeah. And it, w- it would give some of these indie directors, they keep hiring a chance to, and they've, they've done great work, but it would give them a chance to work slightly more in their wheelhouse too. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like if you took a daredevil, because I, I think that's probably the the prime example right now, at least of the Marvel Netflix stuff. But if you took a Daredevil and took that concept and and spent thirty million on a two hour movie, mm-hmm. given what they've been able to do with, I don't know what they, they'd probably spend maybe what two three million on the the Netflix shows per per episode. Yeah, uh, maybe a little more front loaded uh, with that than than back loaded, but. Uh, you know, if you threw thirty million at at a two hour, you know, a right. tight two hour movie, I think you you'd have something pretty special. Um, exactly, especially with you know y- you make it somewhere along the lines of, you know, the raid or John Wick or whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, it, 
why there's absolutely no reason why Daredevil couldn't be like a smash hit on a tiny, but you know, it doesn't need any, it doesn't need a big budget at all. And, and that's a fraction of what Marvel's willing to shell out. Um, you're spending way less on marketing and yeah. So it, that, obviously I think that's inevitable, but I, I hope that that's sort of right. Or I, I, that's what I want phase four to be is a bunch of smaller yeah. projects buoyed by, you know, maybe one big, you know, I'd love to see like three, four films a year, one of them being like a massive billion dollar one, maybe two, you know, however they see it. And then, you know, one or two smaller films. Yeah. I, so. I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix even went to Marvel and said, Hey, look, we'll give you 40. We'll, we'll give you $20 million to make a, uh, daredevil movie. You put up the other 20. We'll yeah. give you six weeks run in the theater. And then we get, we get rights to it on Netflix. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. They're already producing movies. Amazon produced one that they put theaters first. I mean, yeah. They're talking. Netflix is talking about doing the new Scorsese movie and having that in theaters. Yeah, and they're paying a so, ridiculous amount of money, like a hundred and what is it, a hundred and ten million? They're paying for that. Yeah. So I mean, I don't. The Irishman, I think, is, is what's the uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you've already got the infrastructure, the relationship. It it seems like a no brainer, um, and obviously fans would eat it up. And in a way, there's the potential for even more. I mean, maybe not more profit, but you know, you're gonna you spend thirty, even you spend fifty million, you know, on a let's say a Daredevil movie or Moon Knight or whatever. There's there's no reason that movie's not gonna make with the Marvel name. I mean, who knows? Internet, oh, global, it could make half a billion. Sure. So if you're spending fifty million, you get you know a profit of four hundred and fifty million. I mean, you know, that's a you know, just as good of a return as one of their their big movies. So it lets you hedge your bet too, because I mean, let's let's not be you know too naive about this. You know, bubbles always burst. Uh, oh, for things sure. come and go. Fads come. You know, westerns, uh, rom coms. Uh, you know, uh, raunchy teen comedies. Whatever, whatever, whatever they are, yeah. they, they come in and out of favor. And I think doing something like that might be able to kind of hedge their bet a bit, where uh, you know they can they can scale things back. And, and still make some money and it'll kind of just kind of teach them, you know, how to, how to operate that way. So, yeah. And it lets you not, it, it, it helps offset fatigue at a lot of these movies being more flash than substance. Right. Right. You, you, you get a movie that's like a critical hit also makes money, you know, and then all of a sudden every, every article will be, you know, Marvel once again has revolutionized things by putting character first, you know, yep. it, it would be a big deal and, and nobody else is doing it. I mean, DC's not certainly not doing that with their superhero stuff and you know you see a small indie superhero film here and there but I think the combo of like the Marvel Studios name and more of an indie approach would sort of be like the the perfect merger I mean you've already got you you could do half the advertising you do for another film and just because it's Marvel that's you know free advertisement and press like people like us and everybody in entertainment world will bend over backwards to write articles about it just because it's coming out you know so you barely even have to promote it and you're going to get you know at least half the the amount you get for a guardians movie and and you know so yeah i uh i definitely see that happening and now that that tangent's done yeah so so (laughs) let's get back to the movie proper um so what do you, uh, let just kind of overall impressions? Like what what was your kind of overall 
gut feel about this one? Have you informed yourself of an opinion like better or worse, just as good as the first one? Yeah, that one's always hard when yeah. you, right after just seeing it. I mean, I would de- I definitely enjoyed it. Um, there, I would say maybe I had more nitpicks than the first one, but I don't know if part of me would like I want to go back and watch the first one again, and then quickly go see the second one again and see if I can get a really good comparison to see how I feel. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not sure if I could rank which one is better as of now, but I, I enjoyed it a lot. It had a lot of the same stuff that I liked from the first movie. Um, but there were maybe a few more uh, little nitpicks I had overall than, than, than the first one. Yeah. A little more that I would critique than I would the first one. Yeah, yeah. I, You know, for me, it's always hard because the first one... It, the newness, the yeah, exactly. you know, the originality, the you know, the way certain things flow together. I th- I thought uh, so. It's always tough for me to gauge you know that because it because you know your gut feel like right after seeing it, it is is always it's 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 a lot more rosy. Yeah, than after years, it lets, like, it oh my sits God. on you a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I I definitely I definitely think this one was funnier. Like that, just straight up, like I laughed. My, I mean, my wife like was laughing the entire opening credit sequence. I mean, it was just like it was good, yeah, yeah. So uh, I definitely laughed out loud more in this one than than the first one. There's no, there's no question. So uh, okay. you know, from an entertainment factor, I feel like this one surpassed the first one. You know, because I, I I genuinely felt like I in you know I was I felt more entertained. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, that. That I don't know. It's tough for me. I think I think maybe the story overall was more coherent than the first one. Um, the villains I think were I think were better than the first one. Yeah, less mustache twirly. Yeah, it know. just it, it fit into the story better. Yeah, and it was less of just like kind of a boilerplate villain that didn't really. You know, there wasn't a lot to that, and even the climax with the Power Stone thing to me was it, it's fine, but it just never really did a lot for me. Um, I just saw it as like, okay, here's the big finish. Um, There's a little more substance to the, this ending. Um, The the opening credits was amazing. It was hilarious. I was definitely wondering how they were going to address that. Um, Personally, as much as I love the new opening credits, I've, I've said many times to anyone who will listen that I think um, the first guardians has maybe one of the best opening credits for me personally that i've ever seen in a movie there's just such a yeah every time i watch it i get chills like the it, just that shot where like just the title appears yes big yes. and the wide shot and then yes. his little song and it's so intimate and, and again it's like nothing you've seen before yeah just just how the music is worked into the movie and i was just it's something amazing but yeah when that title just pops on there it's just like damn <laughs> like yeah. that's how i feel every time i watch it so yeah so it was much fun i mean obviously this was very fun it was very inventive it was purposely designed to be very exciting but i think what i liked about the first one was it was a little less calculated yeah and, and yeah. so it just worked a little better but i mean again I'm, i don't expect that to necessarily ever be topped but it it was a great it was a, just you know really fun uh inventive opening credits yeah, one one of the things I liked about this one is 
A, it didn't repeat what the first one was. It could have easily just exactly they tried to they could have easily just tried to riff off that. Sure. Uh, and then number two, it was pretty bold. I mean, you basically are crafting this large battle with all of your characters fighting this yeah. incredibly large alien being, and instead you choose to focus on little baby Groot dancing to the music and dodging everything else that's going on while all this other craziness is going on. And I, th- I, I, there's just something about the audacity of that, that, yeah, that I, I just really appreciate. And that, you know, it, it's easy to get lost in the spectacle and to make a point of showing the spectacle in these movies and for them to just say, yeah, the spectacle's there in the background. You can kind of yeah. see what's going on. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of funny bits and bobs that, that show up, but the focus is, is this and uh, and and again? It was just it was funny. Like it just yeah. You, you know it it um, th- just the humor really just just pulled through uh, in that whole sequence. So I, I just again I, I appreciate when sequels don't just retread everything that the first Definitely. movie did. And yeah, and, and it was it's like you're saying it. You know, there was a little bit of subversiveness to it. It's it's making the audience. It's basically asking the audience like. Hey, sit here for five minutes while we roll credits and you watch a CGI character dance around. Yeah, and everybody is on board. I mean, that's a. It's at one point bold, and it's at another point shows you like where this franchise has gone. But yeah, to I, I thought that was a, a good subversion, especially considering you. Uh, we've seen that sort of scene and all the trailers and shots and stuff so much, so it was a good way of. There was a couple of times throughout the movie where they showed something that it's like, oh, I've seen this in the marketing, but they yeah. put kind of a twist on it yep. or showed it in a different way. And yep. that was the best and first example is just like, okay, that wasn't really a spoiler that you know they're fighting this monster at the beginning because that's totally secondary to this thing that was a complete surprise. Like nobody knew that was you know, going to happen. So right. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it was uh, – it was great, and and again, just I think one of those things that James Gunn just brings to the table. Yeah, um, and and it like adds rewatchability to it because it's like exactly. okay, the first time you watch it, you're just you're seeing all these crazy antics and and you're you're focused on Baby Groot, and then I could easily see watching it a second time where you're just like, okay, yeah, I know all that. I want to see all the other stuff that's going that on soon, in the background. As I was watching it, I was like. Next time I watch this, I'm definitely going to pay attention to the fighting in the background. Yeah, but yeah. right now I'm focused. But and you're right. Like that's just the fact that you can even do that is, you know, fun. Yeah. So yeah, I thought I, I thought it was well done. Uh, the music in this one, if, if the one thing that I'll say, I wasn't is I didn't feel that it fit. Like in the first one, the music seems so like. It, everything just fit like a glove, like the yeah. song choices and everything. It fit with with uh, the quirkiness and everything. And this one, I didn't feel like it was as tightly woven. Like I just didn't feel like. I mean, some of the I, I I wouldn't say any of the music choices were bad, but I think some of them just didn't fit like beat per beat, like what was going on in the background. It was almost like they just. Sometimes I think it was like there's too much music. Like it, it just felt yeah, like it was I, being that's overused. What I, was say. I think there was maybe a few too many songs. Like it, they, they they tried to add it in. They tried to go to that well a few too many times. Um, I, I I guess overall it didn't. I don't think that really 
bothered me necessarily, but I think I can definitely see what you're saying. I, I think it was definitely used more uh, than the first movie, and so you know, there's that kind of increases the chance that it's not always going to like click in the same way. Yeah, but uh, I guess personally, I didn't have as big an issue uh, with that, though. Uh, we'll see. We'll see on the second viewing. I mean, again, you know, it's like there's so many things going on that. Yeah, there were definitely things in my head that I was sort of like critiquing that maybe you know prevented me from critiquing another thing or something so yeah yeah the uh the one thing that i think again i i thought was extraordinarily well done was in the opening sequence the de-aged kurt russell which wow the best example of that i've ever seen agreed agreed i was thinking that right at the time i was like um here we go and then I mean, it's been they've been getting better and better at that. Um, I don't know what it was, but that just worked so well. Um, I'm trying to think maybe the last time... You know, I guess it's been a while since I've seen that used where they had the person themselves for reference. Obviously, in Star Wars, like, it wasn't the same technique uh, yeah. in Rogue One. Um, but see, like... like- D. H. Robert Downey Jr. I thought looked off to me, like okay. I, I didn't Great think point. that worked. That was a, a year ago. Yeah, I yeah. didn't think that worked at all. It was very creepy. Yeah. Now, Every think, time I watch it, I try and not be distracted yeah, by it, and yeah. it distracts me. Yeah. I thought yeah, D. H. Michael what it Douglas was that worked. D. H. Michael Douglas was pretty good. Like that one. That was. Yeah, you're right. That wasn't. Maybe that wasn't. I guess it wasn't as many years. Well, but I guess so was the. So were all these other ones. There were a few decades. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what it was because you're right. I think um, I think the Michael Douglas one, it didn't. It looked pretty seamless, and this one looked great. But I wonder what it is that's different. Maybe because maybe it's this. Like with well, I was going to say with Michael Douglas, you weren't going that much younger. Like he was still kind of an older person, whereas you know Tony Stark was going from like an adult to like a teenager. Yeah. But I guess so was Kurt Russell. Yeah. Well, I guess he was supposed to be a relatively young, you know, late early teens, 20s. early twenties. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I think I think sometimes, honestly, it's time. I wonder if sometimes they just were like, like with the Robert Downey Jr. thing. I wonder if they if that just was late in the process and they just kind of ran out of time and and it wasn't as polished as, as yeah. they wanted. Or given the enormous budget of that movie, they were like, we could spend, you know. $2 million and make it look like this, or we could spend $4 million and make it look like this. And they're like, you know, right. And you could see James Gunn being more anal about it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it but, could also be that, that Tony Stark is, he's used more. Like it's a longer scene. Yeah. With him. Yeah. So maybe it shows more or they, they had to spread it thinner. The, the other thing I was reading today is that a lot of it with Kurt Russell was practical and not as much digital. So, Apparently he hired like the makeup guy that he's worked with from like since back at like ta- like d- during Tango and Cash and the guy's wow. like he's like yeah I know you're going to the makeup guy was like yeah I know you're going to come in and do some CG stuff but I I can get you a pretty good head start on it and so apparently just with makeup and and whatnot they were able to to 
make the job easier. So I don't know okay. if it's just the combination of well, the technology getting better and just having somebody that really understands what it means to like physically make somebody look younger. Yeah, it could be that. And, you know, here's another thing that I was actually thinking about while I was watching it that I forgot about until just now. Um, I think there was something to the lighting. If you watch the scene again, there's sort of a glow to the surroundings. It's on all of them. It's on yeah. Kurt Russell. It's on uh, Meredith. Um, I think it kind of was that sort of to give it that 70s feel almost. Sure. The way sure. I envision it, even though I guess. No, this is, was that 70s? Or well, the it's 80s? early 1980. Okay. So, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like it had a bit of a, I definitely noticed a sort of like soft yellow glow added on set or maybe afterwards. And I think that helped blend the sort of, um, cause there's a weird glow when you de-age someone almost like it just, yeah. the, the skin sort of just doesn't look natural. And I no, think it looks a little waxy. Yeah. yeah. So I think by adding that in it, it, it cut that a little bit. It made them both look that way. It made the environment look that way. And so it, it sort of just gave it the whole scene a little bit of a glow. So you sort of maybe buy, there's less of an uncanny valley there because you're, right. you're realizing that there's a bit of uh, you know, you know, glow and lighting added. So uh, I'm going to check that again on the next viewing, but that, that was one of the things I noticed at the time that might, that might be it. So, yeah, but yeah, it was just extremely well done. I was just really yeah, impressed it was. with, with how, I mean, how good it looked. I mean, it made me watching it as I was watching it. I was thinking, if they've come this far with this, we're going to kind of enter a weird new, and obviously it's very expensive and you, you know, we're not at the point where you could do like a whole movie like that, but it opens up a lot of storytelling, pers- uh, like possibilities and sure. a lot of, you know, you see people going more and more towards that rather than like casting a, a different person as like young, whoever for a scene. So right. I could, you know, you can obviously very easily see this five, maybe 10 year, down the road in the future where like you know a 70 year old actor is able to play like a 30 year old on screen the entire time and um just by using that technology so it's uh i think that'll be an interesting thing to see moving forward yeah agree yeah well done uh one of the things it's it's funny i i stayed away from so much from spoilers and stuff was the cameo that sylvester stallone played yeah and then when it kind of was revealed, I was like, okay, if I knew that going in, I really wouldn't have been that upset about it. No, I, um, I, I did know it going in, um, yeah. unfortunately. Um, and yeah, I don't think it, it – there's a lot of stuff that if you knew about them ahead of time, I really don't think it ruined I – mean, to me, a spoiler is a, a plot element. Yeah. Like if I – that's what would kind of ruin a moment for me is just knowing – the outcome of a conflict, you know, or where the plot was going, but like a cameo or an Easter egg doesn't necessarily, I don't know. It doesn't make it any less fun for me when I see it in the theater, but yeah, I I guess I was the way they were talking about it. It seemed like it was more significant than what it was. And maybe I'm just downplaying it, but yeah, um, no, they did kind of make it seem like this will definitely have an impact on the rest of the MCU. Yeah. It's like, well, Well, I'm sure they'll pop back up, but they're, they're not even as big of characters as they are in the comics, you know? Right, right. And And in the comic, because they're turned into, you know, thieves instead of, you know, celestial heroes. Yeah, I mean, and (laughs) Starhawk has, like, you know, crazy powers, whereas he just looks like a guy with a gun and some funny lights on his shoulders. Yeah. 
Um, it, yeah, so I guess to so. kind of back up a little, we're, we're being slightly cryptic, but uh, so, so Sylvester <clears throat> Stallone played uh, Stacker Ogord, who in in the movie was kind of the leader of the Ravagers, kind of the, the head, even though we find out there's all these different clans of Ravagers, you know, Yondu's in charge of one. Uh, so yeah, he seems to be the most respected yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, and Stacker Orgord in the comics is uh, Starhawk, who was part of the Guardians. So originally in the comics, the Guardians were not Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, Rocket, you know. That that kind of came along with the Abnett and Lanning uh, instance. Yeah, because I mean, it that's takes, like 2008 before yeah. we even see those characters join together. Yeah, so it's like modern era uh, that, that that happens. Uh, the the original Guardians of the Galaxy in the comics that uh, premiered in the late 60s and then had a kind of resurgence in the late 80s, early 90s took place in the year 3000. And so... It was like Starhawk, Charlie Twenty Seven, um, yeah, Vance Mark Astro, X. who was uh, actually in. His, he had a he had a modern day counterpart in the comics, but he actually wields uh, Captain America's shield in the year three thousand. So there's uh, there's this group of of guardians that uh, that that exist, and so they basically took those characters and made them. Uh, Ravagers, uh, right? In, Which in is movie. what they did with Yondu in the first movie, who's also one of exactly the yes, Yondu. Yeah, and maybe that's what gave him the idea. Is yeah, it's basically yeah. like, well, let's get. We did this for some reason with Yondu. Let's just do it with all of them. Yeah, um, or most of them. And Mark, and Michael Rosenbaum, his character was Martin X, who was the one that was next to Sylvester Stallone that had he was like complete CG, where he had like yeah, the crystals, crystals. Skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so all those guys were original. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy from the year 3000. So it's kind of like a reimagining of of that team as Ravagers, which I thought was cool. So I was not expecting to see Ving Rhames and Michelle Yeoh show up as as Alita Ogord, who's who's the wife of of um, Stafford. Yeah, it's like his sister and wife. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, and, and <laughs> but then, yeah, and then Ving Rhames is Charlie Twenty Seven, the big bulky yeah. guy. And so, then and then uh, Miley Cyrus. As mainframe, the voice, yeah, yeah, it was like a character from the nineties, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, that was like the head, and then there was like another CG character, which was like a complete remake of this guy Krugar, right? Who was like a Doctor Strange apprentice. Uh, I think he was even the Sorcerer Supreme at one point, um, and he's like a weird lizard snake creature in the comics, and he was part of the Guardians, but they, it looks like in the in the movie, he's like a robot that doesn't speak and just gives a has holographic thumbs up, which I liked. <laughs> so that was a cool surprise. So I was really, yeah. Uh, I I thought and that it was come cool. Back, it comes back a few times. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't just like a little, yeah. You know, I mean, they've got a few moments throughout the movie. Yeah, and then of course they show up in one of the post credit. We'll we'll get to the post credit scenes, but they show up. Okay, the well then scene. I guess yeah, I guess I was jumping ahead. Then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so the cameos were cool. Greg Henry uh, got got his cameo again. He's another one of those James Gunn, you know, guys that shows up in all his movies. So he he was he, Grandpa Quill showed up again, and I don't know if you caught it when the movie when you were watching the movie. I didn't, but then I read about it afterwards. Yeah. So when that blob thing was engulfing <laughs> that area in Missouri, the it it's kind of started and then it stopped and then it started again. And when it stopped, there was like a little blue. 
two-door hatchback or something, which which had an older man driving it. Oh, okay. And it stopped just at the back bumper, and that was that was Greg Henry. Uh, yeah, with with some prosthetics to make him look a little older. And then uh, James Gunn's parents were the two old people who were like taking pictures of the blob. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was a good. And and uh, apparently, uh, the kid who played Peter in the opening. Uh, is the kid that they show in like one of the quick little flashes uh, of like Yondu teaching Peter like how to fire a gun? Yeah. They, so they like brought back that kid for like a you know a two second scene. But anyway, you know another little well, that's cool Easter egg cameo sort of thing. So. Yeah. And of course, Howard the Duck shows up again. So yeah, <laughs> it was funny. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought something like that would happen. I I liked that it was like in story rather than like another in credits yeah. thing. Yeah. Um. And I, I guess that confirms that he got away from the uh, the collector. Yeah, off on his own now. So. Yep. Yep. So that was cool. Uh, the The story, it, it was it was really weird because I I didn't feel like Guardians One felt like it was very plot driven. You know, like it was. You know, here's sure, this guy yeah. has this thing. These guys get captured. They have to get this thing back, and you know, and protect this crazy man from you know blowing up the entire universe with this object. Um, yeah, and it seemed you know it was very you know like I said plot driven. This seemed very almost fluid, just kind of like again like you're just kind of along for the ride with these characters. Where yeah, you know the the main premise is in the beginning they're hired uh, by these aliens to kill this this creature. Uh, Rocket steals the batteries that they're supposed to be protecting, which sends the yeah. aliens after them. Uh, and we we come to find Peter's father, uh, Ego, the Living Planet, uh, saves them, uh, takes them back to his place, and you know wants to re- you know allegedly reconnect with the son. And at the same time, uh, Rocket is left, and Rocket and, and Groot are left with. Uh, with Nebula, and then yeah. they basically all end up getting getting double crossed. So the team's kind of split for a good a good portion of the movie. Yeah, which I think is I, I think I mean one of my I think one of the things that slightly limits this movie compared to the first is just there's so many more characters that have to get serviced. You know, it's a bigger ensemble. Um, so I think splitting them helps to sort of like be able to focus on you know giving each group like a story and yeah. Um, rather than, you know, having like uh, 10 people on screen at a time. Yeah. Um, jostling for, you know, you know, whoever gets a line. Um, but I, I also think that it led to some shortcomings and, and that one of my biggest complaints about the film uh, is that I think it um, really shortchanges Gamora. Yeah, and I kind of felt I that way the first time. I think it does the too. same thing about Nebula. Yeah, I yeah. did too. I just going into it, this uh, James Gunn, they made a big deal saying that they were really going to focus on the female characters. This was Gamora and Nebula. You're going to have Mantis and Aisha, and it was going to be, you know, they were going to really do justice to these these characters. And um, I I just really didn't feel like that happened at all. Um, I'm a big fan of Gamora in the comics and I am not crazy about the way James Gunn has kind of remade her into 
she's sort of like the sensible one in the group, you know, like she's, you know, the, it's like the four rambunctious boys, like always causing trouble. And she's always like fed up and sighing. And, and it just really bothered me that they kind of made, he made her like the buzzkill. Yeah. She never really has like any, she's got, you know, that one big moment with a gun. But other than that, like this is a character in the comics, like is like Drax. Yeah. She's always looking for a fight. She's she loves fighting. She's powerful, deadly. Whereas in the movie, she makes a lot of threats, but you never really see her being an amazing fighter. You never see her have fun. She's mostly just there to be, you know, Quill's love interest. And even in that, she doesn't really even seem like she wants to be. So there's just not a lot to her. And and I I thought that was a big bummer. And then I didn't really think he did much with Nebula either. Um you know more than the first movie but for all it was being touted as i don't you know, i don't think it serviced them and even the big final moment you had yondu and St- star lord and rocket having these like amazing fight sequences and shooting and flying around and nebula and gamora were just like climbing up a rock like they you know they never had any big moment that showed why they were so you know awesome and capable and uh, i don't know so it, that that was really my one chief complaint um, about the film that kind of bugged me throughout. Yeah, I... I don't know how you felt on that end. I've always felt Gamora is the weak link of the cast, and I, I don't know if she's just not being properly written, but I also find Zoe Saldana to be a little uh, wooden, just in general. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean... Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen her in anything else unfortunately yeah i mean she's she's been in the star trek movies she's been in oh yeah i guess i saw she was in the losers not a huge huge fan of those so i yeah i won't i won't weigh in with that (laughs) yeah she's in the losers um there's been a few movies that she's she just even that columbiana i thought she was a little stiff in that so i just she just doesn't command a presence um, and so I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I, I always, I've always said that uh, the the weakest link of these of now the second movie is is Gamora. Um, I always yeah. feel like she's her character is the weak link. Um, even you know you were saying like Nebula, like even she, you know, was kind of grousing. She always, and I don't know if it's just Karen Gillan's delivery, but when she does the whole like she's disgusted with everything, just it's the funny. way she delivers that is just yeah. it's it's really really good. Just like exactly. almost like and a that, child, exactly. Um, and so there was even in, and that's a great example of how you make a character like, um, you know, villainous or annoying or whatever, but still make them enjoyable to the audience. Yeah. Whereas Gamora is constantly fed up and it just it, it just serves as like a roadblock to everything that's going on. It never she never really gets like a good moment, you know? She never gets yeah. a funny line, she never gets a again, she gets like one she gets that one big moment with a gun, but it just I don't know. As someone who is again like a huge you know, fan of the comics, especially like her and Angela joining forces. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I, I wanted to see more of what Drax does where he's like, you know, I, I, that's the dynamic that I really enjoy in the comics is her and Drax are like just these two, you know, crazy. They just love fighting. And, yeah. um, yeah, you know, Drax gets to do that, but yeah, I, I just, I think it's a shame that the main female character is basically reduced to like, 
the love interest. Yeah. And I, I was hoping for more from James Gunn, especially considering, again, throughout the promotion of this film, he spent a lot of time talking about how he was really going to like make, you know, these strong female characters and, and that's an issue in the, in the, in, you know, comic book movies and in the Marvel universe. And, and so it was a shame to see, you know, that not be the case, uh, in this film. So that's my, to be honest, that's my one, my like one big knock. Yeah. Uh, that's fair. And again, it doesn't ruin the movie or anything, but you know, I, I mean, the one thing I I appreciated at the end was I was really concerned with after, you know, Yondu's death that, uh, and all that was done, that that was going to be the moment, like they were just going to start, you know, like making out or they would show them together. Yeah. And they never did that. And no, and, 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 I, and I do appreciate that. Yeah, me too. Because I think, oh, here we go. You know, the only female in the group's got to be the love interest. And I, it's clear that they're headed that way, but I like the fact that they're still they didn't make it all about that. So no, no. And I, and I agree. I just, I think it was more that I didn't see much else from Gamora. No, you're absolutely right. All that I could really focus on is about all the characterization she got was as his love interest. So, you know, if, if she had had some more shading outside of that, and there's a little bit of her in Nebula, but I, Again, that was one of the things that Gunn was talking about a ton. Like, this is really going to explore their relationship as sisters yeah. and yeah. growing up under Thanos. And it, I mean, it barely did that. You know, yeah. it paid lip service to it. But uh, yeah, I think I think it probably would have been better for me if Gunn just hadn't have been saying all that stuff before the movie came out. Yeah, because like I'm anticipating a very different. Uh, you know, uh, I, to be honest, I was expecting what happened with Peter and Rocket who get the, I mean, Rocket surprisingly gets like the most emotional through line in the film. Yeah. And that's what I was expecting for Gamora and Nebula. And so again, it was a little disappointing that, you know, the, the most emotional parts of the movie were Yondu, uh, Quill and Rocket. Um, and I get, I get why Yondu, you know, is focused on. Yeah. That really surprised me. Uh, just yeah, Yondu, I, I didn't see any of that stuff coming. Yeah, I mean, I, he was kind of. I mean, I mean, Rooker's one of those guys, you know, just like his brother, just like Greg Henry. You know, he's got this cadre of actors that that he just works with, and you know, yeah. no matter what he does, he's going to find a role for these guys to play. And I, I kind of like that. I mean, I like you know, J.J. Abrams is kind of like that, and you know, Scorsese even, you know, you know these these directors, you know, have this yeah, kind of crew that for sure. And I, I always find it kind of funny to see how they end up working some of these actors in that they always work in. Um, but he was kind of – I can't even say a cameo in the first one because he, he, he had a fairly significant role. Sure, but it's not you – don't, you don't get to know him that much. No, but – and I wasn't expecting his role to be that significant in this one. No, I mean both from a, from a presence, you know, how, how much he actually appeared on camera – uh, to to his death being such such a really big deal. Yeah, I mean uh, it's the the climax. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's basically like the climax of the film. It, and it really and them really kind of exploring this whole dynamic between what Peter thinks his father, his relationship with his father was and should have been versus what it actually was, and then like retrospect, looking back on it, especially with the information of knowing that the reason Yondu didn't give him to his father was not to, you know, not to, uh, 
not out of malice, but out of protect, you know, to protect him. And yeah, uh, it it was just, I mean, there was a lot of emotion in this movie. I mean, there were a lot of, you know, the characters, you know, I mean, obviously we were kind of banging on, on, you know, what was done with Gamora and, uh, and Nebula. I mean, they did have, they, they did have a moment where they connected and where it was, you know, Nebula made her point, but everybody kind of got this character development moment or moments, uh, which yeah, you, which we didn't really see in the first one, and and again, I think no, I think all. it's a good natural progression because in the first movie you have to focus on telling us who these people are, how they get together, you know, yeah. basically their origin. And when you get to the second movie, you don't have to retell that story again, so you can you can advance it, you can move forward with your with your narrative, and now we can focus on getting to know the characters. And I think. A lot of times in these sequels, uh, that's not always the way. I I think Marvel's done a pretty good job. I mean, I think with Iron Man 2, I think we got a lot of insight into Tony Stark and his relationship with his father. And uh, I I think with Winter Soldier, we got a a better look at who Steve Rogers is. Yeah, that's the high watermark of sequels to me. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't think we got that with uh, Thor: The Dark World. I mean, I think that's one no. of the. You know, one of the one of the cases where we didn't. Uh, yeah. Didn't get that, and even like Age of Ultron, I don't think. You know, I mean, granted, ensemble, but I don't really yeah. feel like like we got any depth there. No, there wasn't an effort to get to know the characters on any sort of deeper level. And, and, Which again, I think. I mean, you know, we just picked the two examples where they don't really do that, or you know, probably two of the you know, two weaker examples. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the moments they did pick, like in age of Ultron, I thought they were very unnatural and kind of fabricated, which was like the whole black widow. Yeah. Oh my, um, yeah, exactly. That's, you know, Bruce Banner stuff. I just, yeah, they've it, done. Yeah. yeah. It just really, <clears throat> right. It, did, it came out of nowhere. And every time I watch that movie, I try and go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, I'm going to let, let me, like, I try and like, okay, let me watch this unfold. Like, let me pay attention to how Joss Whedon crafts this relationship. And it's just not there. No. Like I've, I've given it so many chances to, to manifest and like see the subtleties of it. And it just, it doesn't make any sense. Nope. And it, it's so contradict. It, it's as if someone else were writing. And I mean, to be fair, a lot of people have written Black Widow in the movies which might be one of her issues is she she never really had like a a, a firm voice established. But I feel like the way she was written but, in in Iron Man two was very similar to the way she was written in Winter Soldier and even in Civil War. I think the yeah, Russos and that's true, yeah. And I guess Marcus and McFeely, not not just the Russos, but I feel like they. But you know, even in the first Avengers, I mean, I feel like Whedon did a. Yeah. A good job. So I don't know what. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Happened. I don't know if that Again, was studio I, interference or if it was just Whedon or or what. But yeah, it was a weird. I never bought weird. It. Never bought it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. So, uh, I the the whole uh, bit with Kurt Russell being ego, and then it turns out he's really the villain. I, I mean, not like a, a stunning revelation or anything like that. But I thought it was a cool. No. I thought it was a cool way to kind of bring everything together and, you know, kind of the I am your father movement moment from Empire Strikes Back in this was when he he said, yeah, I felt really bad when I had to give your mother that brain tumor. Man, it was just like that. Yeah. Whoa. It was like yeah, I was definitely like, whoa, I did not I, I, see that reveal. Coming. I felt it. I mean, I really felt yeah. it. Um, 
yeah, I, that was. I think that's what makes it work better than the first one. Yeah. In that regard, is that the the overall story and the plot and the it's not the typical like, oh, there's a bad guy, you know, disparate group of people have to get together and stop him and save the universe. You know, it was. Yeah. Yeah, it had more of a a natural feel to it throughout, where they sort of stumble into this, you know, this thing and. You know, maybe the sort of uh, thread at the very end is is rushed a teeny bit, but and again, I would love if Marvel never again did a the world slash the universe is about to be destroyed plot. But yeah. uh, you know, I, but it made it made sense for the most part, all told. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was something that yeah, it, it was at least a different sort of take on it, and it and it fed into the to the to the ideas that were laid out throughout the movies. So and one of the other things I think these movies we we criticize a lot for is the villain ends up being some uh aspect of the hero. And I mean even though the villain is technically the father of Peter Quill, I yeah. I don't feel like in either of these movies that the villain has been just some analog for the hero. And, and no, part no. of it is it's an ensemble so it's a little more difficult to to do, but uh, you know, we've seen it with with all you know, almost all the movies, I guess. Yeah, um, for sure. That that the the villain is some sort of mirror, you know, dark mirror image of the of the hero. Um, so I think that that's what makes it fresh. But I, I thought it was yeah. just really well done. I mean, there were some really cool. I thought the visuals for Ego for the planet were yeah, phenomenal. All that all that stuff looked, looked really good. I love the decision of like the little sort of weird uh, picture boxes. Yeah, you know, with yeah. the mannequin people. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was like majestic and creepy at the same time. Yeah. You know? It like foreshadowed the sort of creepy reveal yeah. by being a little like off-putting. And then um, even when they showed the planet from the exterior that time, it looked exactly like Ego from the from the comic. And I thought that was yeah. a really cool, nice little touch to add in there. So Yeah, I mean, when you look at them from the comics, it's not really uh, – obviously the connection with like Peter Quill is, is new, but it's not really that different. I mean, he never took like a human form, but – he could control all of his molecules and like create stuff. Right. So it's, it's not like it's not like that crazy. I mean, I, I, I guess I, you wonder how it can detach itself, but you yeah. know, I find it's the not, it's uh, not a big deal. I find the reveal of Peter Quill's uh, lineage in the movie much more interesting than in the comics. I mean, the whole Jason Aspartex yeah. in the comics does nothing for me. Um, exactly, and it, it gives you a similar vibe. And another interesting thing, I didn't know this, but in just doing like some research and stuff, um, I guess the guy, I think his name was, I think it was Steve Englehart? Yeah. Who yeah. created Quill? Yeah. When he originally envisioned him, he planned out the idea that this guy would be sort of like a self-obsessed jerk who would eventually find out that he had this sort of like great cosmic power and it would sort of be this complete like 180. But he ended up leaving Marvel before he could do anything besides introduce the character. Yeah. So that second part of him never got introduced. And so in a way, the movie sort of like pays homage to that and giving him this like great, you know, celestial yeah. power. If, if, so I thought that was like a fun little uh, thing. Yeah, if you've never read like the original the guy he's had his origin rewritten several times. Yeah, um, I'm only familiar with the the Abnett landing. Yeah, you know, it's, and beyond. It's pretty uh, for something that took place even in the 70s. It's pretty dark. I mean, it's like these aliens come and they kill his mother, and they like it's it's just it's really weird. Like it's 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 very yeah. dark. Uh, they did 
back when the annihilation, so the, kind of the resurgence of the Guardians and the resur- and the kind of the the bringing Peter Quill to the forefront happened with uh, when Abnett and Landing took over the cosmic stuff and they did Annihilation Conquest and. Um, so when those trades and everything came out, they did one of the things they did as a hardcover when they were putting out all the Annihilation, Annihilation Conquest, uh, War of King, Realm of Kings. It was kind of like this whole succession of stories that that were done. Uh, they did this uh, an, what was it, Annihilation Origins or something like that, where I've got I've got sitting on my shelf, and it's it's a hardcover with all of the basically the Guardians and these cosmic characters, their origin stories and their early adventures. Uh, so it's like, uh, oh, cool. you know, again, all the guardians, you know, rocket, um, it has, uh, Adam Warlock and, and stuff like that in there. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's some pretty dark and effed up stuff <laughs> when you think of, if you really cool. think about what they were doing with his origin right, right. and, and how dark it out. was. Yeah. So I, I guess we'll talk about the end credits, uh, a bit so there were five end credit sequences which which i actually thought was cool because although the credits themselves from a from a design perspective were really cool that old almost looked like the back of an old uh like star wars trading card look to yeah, it you know yeah. um and the fact that they covered up the names that said i am groot and then they would they would reveal yeah. themselves i thought that was all and, cool and there were there's little easter eggs throughout i mean you had cosmo yeah, Cosmo, uh, the uh, Grandmaster. Yeah, yeah, Golden uh, showed up. Da- dancing around. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, there was there was a lot of fun little moments in there. Yeah. Really good credit sequence. Um, but yeah, so I thought it was cool because you know that they're going to have one at the end, and so to break it up, you know, with these other four that were in, were interluded in there, I thought was pretty cool. Um, the first one I thought was the funniest. The the Kraglin with the whistling yeah, with great. the thing, and then it gets stuck into. Uh, into Drax and he's just screaming. Uh, I thought that was I mean, we laughed so hard. Uh, yeah, with and, and it's a good way to like. The one thing I was thinking with that arrow is when Yondu has that crazy sequence with it. I was like, this is this guy's too powerful. Yeah, like how I, do you stop this? I've always like, thought he, that. I always thought that was yeah. a little maybe they could like have the done. first one was cool because they didn't really like show they didn't show the limits of it. You know, it was just like oh cool. Yeah. But in doing this one, it was like, well, this guy's unbeatable. Like, this is literally the perfect weapon you can, you know. So so it's kind of good that it's now given to a guy who, like, can't wield it as well or else that would be hard to explain. Like, yeah, yeah. Nobody should be able to stop this person. Exactly, exactly. Um, so that was good. The Teenage Groot thing, I thought, it was like, eh, it was okay. I, I thought the, the voice work of Vin Diesel during that was, yeah. was kind of the standout. I, I I did really like the where he, at one point he goes like, "Oh, I'm Groot or something yeah, like yeah, basically that sort of mocking." Yeah, to, yeah, like yeah. I don't know. I thought I think it's pretty good, and I, I guess it what it does essentially is let you know like the next time you see Groot because it's going to be four years. Yeah, yeah. In between this one and and Infinity War, right? Since this took place like a few months after the first one, um, so you know it kind of gives you the hint that. He's not the baby Groot's gone. Like say goodbye right. to. Yep. I, I almost think that was the purpose, just to yeah. just to clear up. Like, all right, you're not going to. Don't worry, it's not going to be all baby Groot. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and I really hope when we see him again in Infinity War, I would really like him to look different from the first Guardians. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Because um, he's got a lot of cool looks in the comics. Um, and, you know, and again, part of this is to sell toys, so I wouldn't be surprised at oh, all. Yeah. So if it makes they it's like Tony Stark's arm, right? It's like Tony's armor. Like exactly. You're gonna, yeah. you're gonna switch it up every time. Yeah. Um, 
the new I, what I call the new Ravagers. That was that was another spot that was where Stallone's like, let's go steal some shit. I thought that was yeah. Again, that was pretty cool that that team that is, was great. Yeah, and that's where you meet them all, and you know, yeah. it alludes to like, okay, they used to be a team with Yondu. Yeah, which is ref, you know, and I think it's safe to assume like the Guardians still, sure. uh, you know, eventually help more than they hurt. So yeah, I have a feeling we'll see these characters in the the next movie, but. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't think we'll see them until then. But I think right. We'll see right, them in, right. in, um, in uh, Guardians 3. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, the other sequence was uh, Aisha and the whole Adam Warlock thing, which is, it's an obvious knock. I mean, the, the birthing chamber thing looks exactly like it did when it first appeared. Um, they pretty much come out and said, yeah, the, you know, Adam Warlock will be in, in, in volume three. Uh, so, yeah. So again, that was kind of cool. Not before they, they right. have said that we won't right. see him in like Avengers. So, yeah. So yeah, um, it was cool, but yeah, that was cool. But you know, nothing earth shattering. Uh, the Stan Lee cameo. So it, actually twice when rocket yeah. and, and, uh, and, and then we're doing their 700 jumps to get to ego, the living planet. Um, <laughs> Which is great. The way they looked, like the mm-hmm. sort of like uh, Tex Avery. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, uh, that was great looking. Yeah. I, I love that. Very cartoony moment. Yeah. Um, so one of the things they passed is Stan Lee in a spacesuit uh, speaking to the Watchers. And so uh, the last end credit sequence was them coming back to that where Stan's like, oh, I got a million stories. And they're wa- they just basically get tired of listening to him and walk away. Yeah. Um, but well, seeing the Watchers and, was pretty cool. Yeah. And... Yeah, I, that's one of the things I never thought I would see. I think they made them somehow look... I've always thought they looked so goofy in the comics. I think they made them work really well. Yeah, they weren't I think just like, making them like a little taller. Yeah, they weren't like smaller. 20 feet tall. They were like 7 feet tall or something. Yeah, it, it kind of... It, it worked. They looked yeah. good. Um, and then we also get, you know, basically the reveal that Stan Lee's cameos in every movie are the same person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he he's possibly some sort of celestial being, though he didn't have the power to leave without them, and he needed a spacesuit. So it still sort of leaves leaves it up in the air as to who or what he is. But yeah, uh, yeah that was fun and and interesting because they're introduced in a Fantastic Four comic. Yep. Uh, so maybe part of this, we know they made a deal to let Ego appear. Uh, that was one of the things like Fox owns ego and they made a deal with Fox to allow them to change the powers of Megasonic teenage warhead and Deadpool to let them use ego. So I don't know. I'm wondering if I, and who knows, maybe they have, maybe Marvel has always owned the rights to the watchers. We don't know. I think the watchers maybe is another example of like, uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet witch where they're so, ingrained in the marvel universe as a whole that the the yeah. argument could be made like yeah these yeah they may have appeared in fantastic four but this character is so ingrained in everything that he's just one of these characters yeah. where if you use them we're not going to sue you for it and if we use it you're not going to sue us for it right and maybe just because they weren't really named or you know right. I never, exactly here's a here's another question and this is like maybe the last little tiny easter egg that i want to ask you about and kind of plays into the same thing when they were doing that jump, there's a scene where you see two people, like two like big bulky aliens, like fighting on a planet, and one of them has an axe. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I my first thought when I saw that was that it was Terax. 
Oh, maybe. It looked like Terex to me. And I've seen one other site say that. I've seen another site say that it was, um, um, one of the, the, the Cronians, I think the rock monster. Oh, from right, World War II. right. Right. And one of them is in planet Hulk and is going to be, that's who Taiki Waititi is playing. Right. In, right. In Ragnarok. So, Someone said that. I don't know, but I, I didn't know if you noticed that or thought that. But it was a similar thing where I thought, I'm pretty sure Fox owns that character. Yet, I wonder how that counts. You know, like what what counts I, as using the I, character? I think you know? it kind of goes back to you know John Byrne put uh, he put Lois Lane and Clark Kent into a was it either the Fantastic Four or the X Men? Like I think it was the X Men. Where you could clearly look at them and see it's Lois Lane and Clark Kent, but they're never named. Um, exactly. You know, th- there's so, always been Marvel and DC have done stuff like that for years. So I think part of it is okay. You're going to have to prove that this silhouette is this mm-hmm. character when he's never right. named and, and never seen in other than a silhouette. And so some of that stuff I could easily see is you know wink and nod where it's like if you say that's Terex, then it's Terex, but we're not going to say it's Terex. Exactly. So I doubt we'll ever get confirmation. But I just thought that was another little interesting example of yeah. you know that's a character no one's really going to fight over. And again, it's such a little moment that. Who knows? Who who knows who it was? Right, but right. yeah, I'll have to, uh, I'll I have to pay to point that out too. I have to pay closer attention. Yeah, pay, I was pay attention. Yeah, I was trying to look because I knew when they were doing the zip by thing. I'm like, okay, there's got to be some kind of Easter egg here. Yeah, and that's why I think it is Terex because it's clearly meant as like a, it's clearly an Easter egg moment. It's the type of thing that would be an Easter egg, you know, that like quick shot of somebody. So I, I don't know. It just that was just immediately what popped into my head, just given the basic shape and like his axe. And and it was you know in space you know so yeah. that was just kind of like my my initial thought so I was curious if you if you noticed that but yeah check check that out on second view yeah, and, yeah. And see yeah that and the Hoff the but, Hoff uh, showed up so oh yes that was great that was hilarious uh, Zardal Hoff Hoff oh, what well, it was like Zardu Hoff Hoffrau Hoffrau I think yeah yeah so, yeah some funny but Hossel that was Frau. great and Hossel then he had, Hustle for yeah, yeah. And then, and then he did a song at the yes. end too. Like yes. the, the weird, and you know, I knew about that ahead of time. It was like, a, it was like a Miko. I kind of forgot. Yeah. And when I was like, I was like, man, this is a weird song. <laughs> I was hearing the lyrics and then at, it finally it clicked. I was like, Oh, this must be that David Hasselhoff song that they talked about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was great. So, yeah. so cool. So that's, <laughs> uh, that's guardians of the galaxy volume two. Uh, and, uh, that's kind of our thoughts on it. We'll, uh, yeah. I think next time we'll be back. We'll we'll talk some more Agents of Shield. Uh, I think uh, depending on how that flows, I think we're going to do the next three episodes, and I think we're going to save the finale for its own episode to do shortly after it airs, um, because we'll probably have a lot to say. There's rumors there might be a renewal in the news coming soon. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully, we'll have some news then, and then I think once we get past Agents of Shield, we'll come back and. Uh, we'll finally get to Iron Fist, so uh, so fret not. We will we will cover Iron Fist in short order uh, over the hiatus. Definitely. So yeah, we'll have some time to fill yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, check us out on the Facebook group uh, MCU underscore podcast um, or MCU podcast, and uh, follow us at Twitter at MCU underscore podcast. Uh, check out all of Matthew's stuff over at MCU Exchange and screen rant and hhw lod for all 
my stuff and then Mr. Taylor, who is not with us today, but uh, go to the Taylor Network of Podcast.com for all the stuff over there. Uh, and we will talk to you next time when, like I said, we'll do some news and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.